0: You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com Tonight, I want to talk to you about comparisons, comparing yourself to others. The last number of years that I've been working with uh, college students, I find this to run so deep so thick, it's uh, amazing how much it actually impacts our lives. So I'm going to talk about that uh, tonight, John chapter 21, let's pray together. Father, we do love you so much, and God, we're committed to being your people, we're committed to being a people that follow you with everything that we have, every emotion, every day, every hour, we go through good days and bad days, but our resolve is to be 100% yours made a decision to follow hard after you, we pray that you would continue to give us an enabling grace, morning after morning, that your mercy would renew us, that you would give us strength. God, tonight as we talk about comparing ourselves to others, I pray that some of the walls would be brought down, some of the lies, some of the things that keep us so shackled to the planet and living in the lies of the enemy would go away. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's easy for me to talk about comparing. I'm gonna start off with a bit of a pity party. I grew up as a triplet, so you can imagine David, Dane, and Dee being born from the womb all at one moment. Friends from the womb, being born with two girls. I, I spent a lot of my life kind of comparing myself. I didn't mean to; just kind of started. You know, go to school the first day, go to same class and meet different people and boom, compare yourself to who has friends and who doesn't, get a report card, bring it home to mom and dad, three report cards, easy to compare, I remember David, Dan, and Deedee, we all went into this speech meet, two of us got superiors, one of us didn't place, three of us tried out for show choir, two of us made show choir, one of us didn't. Three of us got posted grade point average, knew what rank we were in our class. All of us got different numbers. Three of us got driver's license on one day. Two of us wrecked cars, one of us didn't. We all went to college, three of us got accepted to different colleges. Some of them were accredited, others were not. Two triplet sisters, you know, it's okay to be a girl and be short, but it's not if you're a guy. Three different prom dates. Oh, yes. And uh, actually, that's not true. Two of us prom dates and uh, one of us without one. Uh, There you go. Consecrated heart, baby. Three jobs. Three jobs. One working at the limited, you know, selling apparel, pretty respectful. One teaching children. Christian school, one flipping burgers. Three of us took the ACT, one of us took it five times. Yes. And I just know what it is. I I remember, I mean, from from the time that I was born, I mean, I was born in a litter. I was born in a herd. I was born in in a multiple deal. And when, you can't help it, but just growing up, you start to kind of look around and compare yourself. I mean, three of us, you know, went and had big teeth come in. And two of us needed braces. And one girl had pretty teeth. And two of us had... You know, I mean, it was just amazing over and over and over again. And, and you, you kind of just start comparing. It's it's kind of a part of not just a multiple birth. You did it maybe with your siblings. You did it maybe in your context, in your high school, in your junior high, even now in your college, maybe even in your accountability group right now. I don't know. But it's so, it's so in us. It's so a part of us. I don't know where you're at. Maybe, maybe when you go to college, it's easy for you to make comparisons to the person sitting next to you in English 101 or Maybe it's easy for you to make comparisons on the basketball court. I don't know where you make comparisons, but all of us live in a culture where we're comparing money, we're comparing fashion, we're comparing uh, education. It's all around us. And you can't really walk through the day without running into people that are are making uh, snap judgments all the time. Snap kind of thoughts. And inevitably, when we're in this culture, we're in this river, you know, of constant comparings. All the time. I mean, we can't change it. It's gonna happen. I mean, I can't come before you tonight and say, hey guys, wouldn't it be great if we could all just, you know, live in a world where there wasn't comparisons? Because I'll tell you this, it doesn't change. I mean, right now you're in the college world, but one day, one day be, you'll be in the young married world. And people look at you and be like, you couldn't do better? And, you know, you'll be like, dang hey, no. And I mean, you're, you're, and then the next you're going to be, you're going to be in the, in, in the having babies, you know, having little kids world. And and you're going to be like, yeah, I mean, my kid, my three-year-old soccer kid, you know, he scored a goal. Did yours? I mean, and there's comparisons like crazy. What kind of minivan do you have? Do you have still and go seating? I mean, it, it. I'm just telling you, like, it doesn't end, like, you go into middle age, and it's like, what 401k do you have, and what house, and blah, 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 it just, it, it, it never stops, I mean, even one day when you're old, how many retirement houses do you have, what do you, well, how, you know, what does your grandkids do, well, do your dentures fall out, I mean, it, but, inevitably, you and I are in a journey where there's comparisons, and you have it in college, but it's not going to go away when you become, you know, a middle-aged person and you're Joe Couch's age. It's not going gonna... <sighs> to. Sorry, I just the love on the front row, baby. ha. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I. I don't want to. I. I can, you can only imagine when you, you're the old man and it's. What's your golf score? When do you expect to die? I'm mean, i just telling you, it's a part of your culture. Welcome to reality. Welcome to our world. It's a part of what we have. It's a part of our lives. And tonight, I want to talk to you about how you handle that. But not just how you handle that. I'm talking to people tonight that are disciples of Jesus. I mean, you're the tribe, whether you're in 24-7 or the Furnace or DI. This is the radical tribe. This is the tribe that says, hey... I'll pay dollars to be discipled. You guys are the radicals. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a radical. Now spit on them and see if they really are. No, just kidding. And and one of the things as I've done accountability group after accountability group as I've sat with college guys year after year after year is I've, is I've heard the murmurs. I've heard the whispers. I've heard even the temptations and the frustrations of Comparing to other guys, inevitably it's true for girls as well, different set of rules, but the same principles apply. There's this, this constant looking at each other. What does she have? What does he have? What's he going to do? How, how smart? How, how bright? Tonight I want to talk to you about how as how radical disciples of Jesus Christ do we wade through those shark infested waters? How do we make it through? How do you and I? How how do we live through that? Hebrews chapter 12 is where, you're in John 21, I'm just going to quote this. but I believe it's the secret. And it's something that, this verse is something that we all know. Every single one of you know this verse. Every one of you could quote this, probably. And so, (laughs) I just had a bunch of, uh. (laughs) The issue though, is not do we know the answer. The issue is, do we live out this answer? And I'm coming to talk to you about something that I think you already know. But if I, I would bet money that most of us don't really do. Most of us could articulate it or regurgitate sermons or words that we've heard other people say. But in terms of when you lay on your bed at night or when you're driving uh, in, in the morning in your car or when you're jogging with your iPod and you got earbuds in your ear, you're thinking some of these things. I'm going to kill it. It's not going to be killed tonight. I mean, we're not going to be able to just squash it in one moment. But of course, my prayer is this. That when you walk out of here, you have new determination and resolution to stop comparing yourself with others. What's the secret? Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on. It's that simple, isn't it? Let us let us fix our eyes on Jesus. John 21, are you there? Let's look at this. Let's start in verse 15. Now let me kind of set the stage for you. Jesus is already risen from the dead and he's coming and he's hanging out with his disciples here for some of his disciples, not all of them, for just a moment on the Sea of Tiberias. He's hanging out with them here for just a minute and he has this conversation with Peter. I love this conversation says this, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said feed my sheep Okay so there we see Jesus telling Peter You're going to be really significant Pete I told you in Matthew 16 that you're a rock And on this rock I'll build my church You're going to be pastoral You're going to lead people All of us know that in Acts 2 Peter goes on to preach the great sermons of Pentecost but it doesn't stop here. Look at this. Jesus adds a little bit more. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and, uh, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Bad day. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Intriguing. John here writing. You know, probably in his 80s, most scholars believe that he's writing this gospel as an old man, and probably that this is the last thing that John wrote. Probably he received the revelation on on Patmos before he wrote this gospel. And so here we have the very conclusion of John's version of the story of Jesus, and he includes this bizarre comment.
1: I mean, he includes
0: this this statement, says, Jesus says, Peter gonna die i mean we could we could stop right there and and try to figure out how do you think peter's gonna respond to this statement from jesus i mean jesus looks at him and says hey realistically <laughs> i'm speaking of your death you're gonna you're gonna die for this gospel you're gonna die for me intriguing moment how do you respond in that moment i mean matthew 26 Peter's the one that jumps up and says, Hey, Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I'm your man. I'm your tonto. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I will never deny you. I'm your guy. I'm loyal. I'm with you to the end. He takes it up a notch. Verse 35, he says, and Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny. Jesus, man, yeah. I'm in this thing. I'm committed to you. I've left everything to follow you. I mean, you, you are everything. I mean, I, I am in. I'm ready to die. for you. We're all familiar with the story in John 18. Jesus is in Gethsemane. They come to a rest. Jesus. And Peter thinks this is the moment. I mean, we're not talking about faint-hearted Peter here. We're talking about a guy who twice said, even if I have to die with you, I'll go to the death with you. I'm your man. I am with you. And in John 18, it's his chance. They come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus is like, ha ha. I mean, Peter's like, ha ha. Let's save him. Let's rescue him. He pulls out a sword and he starts chopping the guy's ear off. I mean, I can imagine looking over Matthew and James and be like, told you, I'm in this deal. (laughs) Come on, you old lackluster loser, let's go fight these boys, you know? Cut off some noses yourself, let's go, you know, that kind of deal. So, it's an intriguing thing to wonder how Peter would respond in the moment where Jesus has died on the cross for him. He's risen from the dead. He's now come. He's walked through walls, and he's hanging out with his boys on the beach. They've just had a huge miracle where they've just had a bunch of fish, you know, caught. And Jesus looks at Peter and gives him the information: "You're going to die for the gospel. You're going to give your life." I mean, I think uh, inevitably. A, res- a shock response would be in order, you know. Peter, be like, "Hold on a moment. <laughs> just give me a minute. Just hold on, <laughs> John. Stop hugging people. Jesus, just I just need to be alone. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> I just want to be alone for a second. I mean, that might be all right, right? I mean, after all, the knowledge, the one who knows all things. You're gonna die for the gospel." maybe he'd resort to his old devotion days and be like, yeah, baby, woo You know, when am I going to die? Bring it on, you know? I don't know. I mean, he was that way earlier. He had some of that. He had, man, even if I have to die for you, I'm willing. He could have looked at Jesus and kind of been like, sweet. You know, let's go for it. Let's give it everything. He could have just been super intrigued and interested. Huh? Is it going to hurt? <laughs> How are they going to do it? Blame me. <laughs> What's it going to look like? <laughs> but we have this little nugget here in the scriptures, where we have a We have a statement by Peter, and a response from Jesus. Look at this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, "Lord, who is going to betray you?" When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Ha! Here's the moment. Peter, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna die for me. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna give your life. Peter's response, he turns around and he goes, what about him? Is he gonna die too? I mean, after all, if I'm given everything, I mean, what's gonna happen to that guy? Unbelievable! And then look at what Jesus turns and says to him. He goes, uh, "Look at this." Jesus answered, "If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me." I mean, Jesus looks. I mean, this is recorded incarnate God talking here. He says, "What's that to you?" I mean, this is is that sarcasm? I mean, that is an interesting statement from our Lord and Messiah. I mean he looks at this guy who goes to make a comparison and he goes, what's it to you? Or in our vernacular, nunya. I mean in our vernacular, he looks at him and he's like, huh ah! What's that to you, Pee-Wee? You follow me. He looks at Peter, says, What's that to you? I mean, remember, when I called you, I called you to follow me. And it doesn't matter what anybody else's journey looks like. I, I'm not, I, I'm not wanting you to compare your journey with Peter's or Matthew's or Bartholomew's or anybody else's. I called you to be my disciple. I called you to follow me. And when you start looking at other people, when you start looking at what other people's journey is, your heart your devotion, your your sincerity is going to get discombobulated because I'm, this thing is not about circumstance. It's not about looking and comparing to others. This thing is about me. I'm a person. You decide to follow me. And it doesn't matter where this thing takes you. You're in this thing for a person. You're in this thing for me. And so he goes, Pete, lock eyes with me. What does it matter about that cat? You follow me. Let me remind you of the very original, the very first words that I spoke to you. I said, Follow me. And it matters not what goes on with other people. Don't compare yourself to those guys. Even if it is, John. Even if it is your closest friend. You follow me. You come after me. No matter what the circumstance is, you follow me. You fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on me. And if you'll fix your eyes on me, then the temptation... To become discouraged because other people's journey is going better than yours or worse than yours will be deflated. Because when you compare your journey and yourself to others and you're doing well. If I compare myself to Matt Timmermeyer and I look at his journey and my journey and I look at mine and I go, sweet, I'm doing better than that. Then you know what happens? I become arrogant and I'm worse off in my journey in Jesus. Or vice versa, if the opposite is true, and I look at Matt, and I look at his journey, and I look at what God's doing in his life, and I look at all the miracles that he's experiencing, and I look at all the great things in his life, and I start to look at him as better than my journey, then, rather than becoming arrogant, that's when I think I'm better. When I think he's better, then I'm filled with shame and discouragement, frustration, and typically accusation towards God. Well, I left everything to follow, he left everything to follow, and his journey's better than mine, so pfft, where are the promises? Why aren't you fair? Do you really love me? Comparison's a death trap. There's only one person that you compare yourself to, his name is Jesus. And when you compare yourself to Jesus, you're always in the position. Of needing to do better. (laughs) When you compare yourself to Jesus. You always have the one. That's full of mercy and kindness. Lifting your face. Not one in, 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 in anger. But one in mercy and kindness. Saying come on. Get up. In love you can do better. In love come faster. In love come after me. To compare yourself to Jesus. Is the way to go. And when you compare yourself to others. Which infiltrates not only the world but it infiltrates christian internships it's in your world it's part of your life whether you're comparing at college or whether you're comparing who got the 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 award or who got the promotion who got to be the cadre leader or the accountability group leader or who got to do the deal whatever and in the end it's a death trap It's what the enemy wants you to do he wants you Get your eyes off of Jesus and onto people. If you get your eyes off of Jesus and onto people, then you'll have frustration towards God because you'll your your, your lens, the way that you see things, is skewed because you're bringing in all these other things rather than fixing your eyes on Christ. Did you ever see the uh, the way that horses have the, the blinders right here? It's because if they they can see because eyes are are like on the side like they can see that way and that way and they even say that sometimes they can see to a degree horses can see it to a degree behind them and so they put the blinders on horses you know those little black leather strips right here that's connected to the bridle they stick it right there so they can only look one direction straight ahead friends that's our journey in God it's just it's straight ahead if I start comparing myself to Joe if I can compare myself to Aaron if I compare myself to my peers, you put, you fill in the blank for your own life. In the end, it's heartache. In the end, my temptation is to become frustrated that they're better than me. Or become arrogant. I'm better than them. Either way, Satan wins. Either way, your journey becomes slower. You're pressing on for the fullness of God. It's... A little slowed down, compromised. I'll never forget, uh, growing up as a pastor's son, hanging out with my dad, see different events come and go. A season where he was having a prayer meeting in his church every night. Had a season where, repressing in a renewal format had moments where there was elections for boards, or even elections for him as the pastor. I remember a lot of good days and a lot of bad days. I spent every Tuesday evening with my dad. It was just part of the way the things that our family was structured. And I remember he, he had this, fa- this phrase that he said. And he, he said it all the time. So I started saying it all the time by the time I was a junior higher. It was this phrase straight ahead Jesus is still Lord and that phrase to him meant in the midst of circumstance that I cannot define I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus and I'm not gonna go this way or this way based upon circumstance based upon uh, my emotions I know that I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus and man, you know what there's some things I cannot understand right now I cannot I cannot comprehend with my own brain I can't interpret how these things could be, but they are. And I have one direct call from Christ to follow him. I'm not going to the left or to the right. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give him everything straight ahead because nothing has changed the fact that he has still defeated the enemy. I mean, forever. He has crushed him and the enemy is done. I mean, he, the enemy is hosed. I mean, Jesus went straight ahead. Jesus is the Lord. And friends, when you get in the position where you're sitting in on the bus, you're sitting in a van, you're sitting at your uh, at where you live, maybe it's on the internet, whatever it is, and your t- this temptation starts to come in. You start to compare yourself to another. You will always lose. You will, because you will begin to strive in your own understanding. You will begin to strive for something other than what Christ has placed in your brain. It'll be infiltrated from another world, another thing, and you'll be like, looking this way, and looking this way, and looking this way. And when your eyes are going this way, and this way, and this way, and this way, then it's hard to be single-minded, wholehearted. One way. We're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus. I'm telling you, this is hard in this generation. Because there's, there are so many things that are stumbling blocks and in your way to keep this from happening. Our parents and grandparents generation, if they wanted to see old friends, they were the reunion generation. You know, go to your twenty year reunion, go to your ten year reunion. And y'all don't, y'all won't need reunions. Y'all sit there on MySpace and you can see friends from high school. And and and, and right tonight, if you wanted to go find someone, you go find them. You can look at their little uh, page, space thing. You look right there and you can go, there you go. There she is. Miss Gertrude, queen of the junior high. Five years ago.
1: Look at her now.
0: Man, she was dating the quarterback in high school. Look at her now. Nothing. There's the guy, man, dude, he was the dude, he was the man, I mean, he was, I mean, he was like the, the, the something, he was the, the point guard, he was the cool guy, he was ripped in high school, and he had all the girls, and he was smart, look at him now, in the van down by the river, loser, I mean, you can go, and you're the, you can go, and tonight, I mean, right now, your temptation, you can get on there, and you can, without even thinking about it, you know, oh, I'm here to, uh, meet new friends, yeah, right, Three hundred of those people you don't even know who they are, and half of them are bands. And you're sitting there, and 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 here's the temptation. It's not just oh, let me meet some friends. It's how am I doing compared to him? Oh, he met he got accepted into that college. No way. She dating him? Oh, <sighs> my boyfriend is so much better than that guy. Oh, she's doing it. Him? Oh, oh he's so better than my boyfriend. You hear it? Either way, your host. Either way. I'm telling you, it's everywhere. And it's getting thicker. It's around us all the time. And as I sit and I talk, college men, I hear it. Not always on a surface level, but deep down. It's a comparison problem. He did this and this and this, and look at his life. Therefore, if he did this and this, and he's blessed, I'm going to do that and that and that, and I'll get that kind of blessing. So they do A, B, and C, just like he did it, and then they didn't get what he got, and then there's frustration. Well, what's the deal with you, God? Jesus says, what's it to you? Me. Well, God, I thought that I just did this track, you know, my dad did this track and he turned out all right, well, what's it to you You follow me? You see, you were created to have a very real relationship with God where you really do hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, where you really do read the word of God, and you really do hear him, and you really do make decisions that are you following Jesus. And I have met so many people that think if they do A, B, and C, if they do this, this, and this, under the banner of Christianity, they'll be blessed. I wonder if Peter was thinking that in that moment. Hey, Jesus, um, you remember when you told me that uh, we'll do even greater things? I was hoping to feed maybe eight or nine (laughs) thousand. Oh, you'll do greater things. Yeah, you're going to, your shadow's going to heal people. do I still have to die? Uh huh. Uh Hey, Jesus, you know, uh, I, I was really hoping that uh, when I left everything to follow you, you know, maybe you come in and you just take over Israel and maybe I'd be like your, you know, right hand Spartacus. I'd come in and you'd really rule and we'd defeat the Romans and Maybe I can get a throne or something. But it looks like what you just said a moment ago. is said like, I'm going to die for this. Uh-huh. I,
1: I, I guess when I look at the
0: apostles and the disciples and I look at real Christianity. I look at New Testament Christianity and I look at James being beheaded Acts 12. I look at Paul, you know. Paul goes and he's shipwrecked. Stone left. The, he stoned outside of the city of Lystra and left for dead. When I look at Paul and Silas, you know, being scourged and placed in prison, I just don't all in all get this concept that we've developed today that says, "Hey, pray this prayer, get your soul locked in the vault of heaven, and you'll be blessed. Get a better car, a cuter wife." Better house, better blah blah blah, or for the girl, you know, better husband, better minivan, better job, whatever it is in your world. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if John the Baptist would have thought that way, you know. I mean, I hear it all the time. I hear all the time. Hey, come to Jesus. If you come to Jesus, hey, you'll get this, 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 this. It's the Santa Claus principle. It's not the Jesus principle. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take this cross, and follow me. That means don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. That means don't look at him, 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 her, her, him, her, him, her, her, her. You look at me. I mean, if John the Baptist had the principle that, hey, if I follow him, everything's going to get better. Imagine where he'd be. I mean, here comes John the Baptist. He's so excited about Jesus, he's leaping in Elizabeth's womb when he meets him. You know, like, tummies rub and he's like, wah, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, this is like baby devoted to Jesus from birth, literally, pre-birth devotion. And then, Matthew eleven eleven says he's the greatest man ever born of a woman. All right? He grows up in the wilderness, eating locust and honey, with camel hair as his garment. Devotion. Uh did you hear what I said? Eating locusts and honey. Yeah. Bad day. Bad day. Bad day. Bad day. Bad day. Bad day. Bad, day, bad one after the other. It's not like, and for forty days he ate locust and honey. It was like, and for his life he ate locust and honey. It wasn't like for a season he, he wore camel hair. It was like the man's permanent garment was camel hair. Johnny, what are you wearing today? Camel hair. Day after day. So then he's the one that's preaching that the Messiah is going to come. All right? He's got the knowledge of Jesus, i.e. as a prophet, before anybody else. He's preparing the way. He's the one preparing the way. I mean, you talk about Jesus having a really cool disciple on hand. It's John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus shows up. John the Baptist is the one that recognizes him and goes, Whoa, behold the Lamb of God. Hey, my disciples, you need to leave me. You need to... You need to stop helping me. You need to stop helping my ministry. You need to stop being my best friends. You need to leave everything. And I know we got a cool thing going here, but here's the real deal. And I'll get, I must become less. He must become more. I must decrease. He must increase. You boys go. Let me baptize him. And woohoo! Wow! I mean, we're talking loyal disciple here, we're talking about faithful prophet to Jesus here. And so surely, surely, John's going to get some major blessing here. Look at Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Listen to this story. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison, say in prison, John's in prison for preaching the gospel. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, let me tell you a little bit what's going on here. John is the great prophet. He's the one who knows Jesus quoted Isaiah 61. and said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me.
1: He has anointed me to preach good news
0: to the poor. One of the things was, he has sent me to set the captives free. Isaiah 61. John's in prison. John's wondering, hey, gee, remember me? Your old boy, your cousin? I'm in prison. What's the story? Are you the one that we've expected, or is there someone else? Are you going to do what you said? I've been hearing the stories. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing. He'd been hearing stories of what this young rabbi from Galilee had been doing. And John's like, hey, don't forget me. I'm in prison here. So he sends the disciple, like, go. Find out, is this the guy? Is he coming for me or not? What's the deal here? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. and The good news is preached to the poor. That's Isaiah 61. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Tell John. I am who I said I was. I am healing the sick. I am causing the deaf to hear and the blind to see. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away by counting me. In other words, don't let offense rise in your heart, child. If John the Baptist had the ideology that most of us have, he'd be like, wait a minute. Didn't I give everything? Wait, wait, hold on a second. I'm looking around here and are not the blind seeing? I mean, hey, you're doing party tricks at weddings. I mean, you're causing the water to turn to wine. What about my life in prison, Jesus? Jesus, you're feeding 5,000. I'm really glad that 5,000 hungry people got some bread and some fish. And some, and that's really good. But hey, I'm dying here. I'm in prison here. What's the story? Blessed are all. Not fall away. Count me. John. We know Jesus goes on to spend the rest of the chapter talking about how great John is in the next five or six verses. Do you know when you left everything to follow Jesus? It's not promised to you that everything's going to be sweet, pretty, nice. You came to Jesus and now, hey, sweet. Better cars, better education. Or people liking you. No. When you said, I'm going to follow him, you said, I'm going to leave everything. And no matter what anybody says, no matter what happens, I'm going to miss the a person. I'm going to tell you this, if you'll focus, if you'll fix your eyes, fix, stop looking at this guy, this girl, this thing, what he has, what she has, what he doesn't You will measure your success, not even looking at others, but based upon you and God. You'll do well. And as you commit to the fourth part of our vow to live a focused life, it is much easier to live a focused life when you're not constantly dealing with the soul clutter of comparing yourself to her or to him or to her or to him. Jesus looks at you he goes, this guy's blessed, this guy's doing poorly, this girl's blessed, this girl's doing What is it to you? You follow me. You're going to have leaders. You're going to have friends. It's like this nasty just claw that just grips you and it's everywhere in our culture. And the enemy wants you to do it because when you do it, you get derailed from fixing straight ahead on him. We want to be in this thing for the long haul. We're long haulers. Last week we talked about 10 years. 10 years, 20 years. Psalm 65 says, you have assigned to me my portion and my cup. Each of you have a portion. Each of you have a cup. Song of Solomon 4 says, I will go my way to the mountain of spices. I'll go my way, my journey. The way that God's called me, not somebody else. My way to the mountain of spices. How? Hebrews 12, let's close with Hebrews 12. First 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw up everything that, e- that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. And here it is. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us run the race marked out not for Drew. Not for somebody else. Not somebody else's race. Your race. What God's called you to do. The purpose He's placed in your heart. Your cup. Your portion. What He's called you to be. What He's called you to do. Stop looking. Stop doing this. Rivet your eyes on Jesus. Don't compare. Don't allow the clutter to fill your soul. Here's what I do. When I start to feel that starting to come up inside of me, I open up my journal and I write it down. I don't try to just like fake it like, oh God, I I recognize it. And I just say, God, help me fix my eyes on you. I want to compare myself to so-and-so and and this and -and so-and-so to this so-and-so this but you say that that is rubbish you say that that is wrong god today i fix my eyes on you and then i go through and i say and based upon my portion i was never gifted nor called to be a singer okay i'm all right i was never gifted or called to be five all right i'm okay i was never gifted nor called and just go right through it i was never gifted or called to be this Or that, or to have this dollar, or that dollar, or this education. Uh, And if I, but God, what have you called me to? Oh, you've called me to do this education. You've called me to be this way with my family. You've called me to this ministry. I'm renewing my mind today, and I will live according to what you've called me to. I fix my eyes on you, and when my eyes are on you, then my pathway is clear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Brandon if you want to come on up I just want to take a moment I just want us to respond to the Lord here Just believe that in this place There's some of you men and some of you women And you know that this is a claw Destroying your soul You know that It is so easy for you to live in the comparison world. Be it calling, be it money, education, be it gifting or skills, be it physical appearance. Some of you look in the mirror, compare yourself to others all the time. I'm telling you this, it is so in our culture, I'm not looking at you today and saying, hey, just stop it. No. I'm looking at you and saying, here's how Jesus called us to handle this. And here's a way to start. Let's 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 get on the journey. Let's have such awareness of the reality that's infiltrated us that we that we that we know who the enemy is. We know where we stand. Let's conquer it. Let's conquer it in our teams, our accountability groups. Let's be people. Listen, this is easy to preach and hard to live, but we're committed to living. Right now, if you just, I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to make anybody come up here. If you just go, "I I want this defeated in my life. My tendency is to compare myself to others. I want this conquered. Just raise your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up to you every hand raised. And I pray for supernatural grace and power to conquer the temptation to constantly compare ourselves to others. Father, we want to be a people
1: that 40 and
0: 50 years from now are still knocking on the door of heaven in prayer. We want to be a people that are still believing in faith that you're moving on the planet today. And we're asking for miracles. God, we want to be a people that 40 and 50 years from now are fulfilling the purposes of God. Not just with a verse that we could quote, but with a lifestyle that demonstrates it. Holy God, we ask for your power to conquer this entangling sin that keeps us trapped to the lust of the world. We do not want the lust of the age. We want power from heaven. We want supernatural power. So I pray, Lord God, that tonight you would break the chains that cause us to compare. And Jesus, I pray that each one of us with resolution would fix our eyes on you. We want to fix our eyes on you. We don't want to look to the left. We don't want to look to the right. We don't want to compare to other people. We want to be totally yours, fixed, locked in. You have assigned us our portion. You have assigned us our cup and we will fulfill the purposes of God in our generation. No comparison, no arrogance, and no shame will keep us from fulfilling the whole will that you've called us to fulfill in our lifetime. We love you God. Let's just give God, if we can, do that. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.